Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. It is Tuesday, May 18th. Happy to be here to talk about what we learned at Rome last week. Rome is in the books. Madrid is in the books. Rafael Nadal, the king of clay, is running hot. He defeats Novak Djokovic in the final, has now won four events 10 times or more. Ah, what else can you say about Rafa on clay? It's just ridiculous. But an interesting week in Rome and a big one for Novak Djokovic as well. He wasn't able to overcome Nadal in the final, but he made a huge stride and looks like a big threat for Roland Garros. He's finding his form on the clay. On the women's side, wow. Iga Sviontek, a double bagel of Karolina Pliskova in the final. A remarkable performance from the 19-year-old who just keeps impressing us on the clay specifically. She's 22-5 and five, lifetime on that surface and just a massive performance and a massive title for Sviontek. So lots to talk about as we head into... The final week of our preparations for Roland Garros qualies will begin next week in main draw play on Sunday, May 30th. We've got Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, joining me in a moment. We're going to break down everything we saw and everything we felt as we saw it. So sit tight, enjoy the interview. I will see you guys on the other side. So much clay court tennis to talk about. Rome is in the books. Madrid's in the books. It's been a little bit since we talked. I'm excited to speak with you again today. How are you doing on this fine Monday? I'm just so excited to talk to you after a great Rome, Chris, and the tiramisu was flowing there. It was great. It's <laughs> just a really exciting week. It was nice. I got some fans in the in the mix at, at the Foro Italico and some great ambiance, some awesome clay court tennis, and we just see the storylines kind of really start to develop through Madrid and then into Rome where everybody wants to hit their peak. They get down to sea level. Rafa takes over, and uh, on the women's side, not surprising to me, maybe surprising to some, but Iga Sviantek once again with a dominant performance, a double bagel in the final. What did you think of Iga on Saturday in that final? I was so impressed by her. I mean, I thought she would win the match. I did not envision a double bagel, 46-minute total demolition where she just looked like you know, a world beat. Like, it looked like you put anybody else across the side of the net that sh- that she would win. She just had it all flowing, and obviously a really tough and tough day for Carolina. But I think it, it was more Iga just showing you the the level she can bring when she's on her game. It's really, really impressive, and the ideal preparation for her to try to defend Roland Garros, where she only lost 28 games, did not drop a set last year. So things looking really good for her, especially given you know saving the two match points earlier in the event where she could have been. Out and she took that second life and boy did she run with it yeah that was what made the title kind of special for her was that she struggled she struggled against keys i think she was down five three in the first and mind you madison keys maybe not a really in fine form lately but a very tough player on any surface and can be a real terror on the clay and then the match points as you mentioned against krejcikova was huge and then she hit her stride on saturday and sunday of course beating svitolina the two-time rome champion and just crushing, uh, taking out Coco Goff, who's who's no slouch on the clay and really improving. She was another had another great week beating Sabalenka. So like, the thing with Fiontech, I'm looking at her numbers now: 22 and five lifetime on clay, 15 out of her last 17. The fourth teenager to win a WTA 1000 event, and it used to be known as Premier Mandatories, right? It's just Azarenka, 2009 Miami, Bencic, 2000. 
2015 Toronto, Andrescu at Indian Wells in Toronto in 2019, and then Iga. She's a force. I think we'd be foolish to underhype her at this point. She really looks like the real deal, particularly on clay, where she can clearly just dominate, and she also has a thing for these big matches. She really shows up when it's crunch time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the great thing about this run for her is, like you just said, she beat players with very disparate styles. I mean, Carolina Pliskova can take the racket out of your hand if her serve is landing and she's hitting the forehand. Coco's one of the fastest players. Fidelina, as you said, two-time Rome champion, you know, phenomenal clay court player. So she took on all different styles and and really vanquished them all impressively. The best is yet to come for her. She's just going to, it's onward and upward. I mean, she's got a huge high ceiling. Yeah, there's something about the talent level, and everybody talks about the amount of uh, top heavy top spin that she's able to put on the ball, her variety, and her mentality. She kind of has – she's really the complete package, and that's why I think she's so promising. There's no guarantees, you know, the success she's having is going to uh, turn into future success. There's no guarantee she's going to be a multiple Roland Garros champion. But when you look at the trend that she's putting in place right now, and don't forget about the the title in Adelaide where she dominated. I think she lost 22 games in that run. She has the capacity to dominate. She has all the tools, both mental and physical. Um, no guarantee she's going to be able to come away and defend her title in Paris, but um, she's one of the favorites, and that's a big achievement. And now, today, she's in the top 10 for the first time, so... Um, just a lot of uh, a lot to be impressed about when it comes to this young woman. She plays a re- her ball is just different. Her ball really jumps off the off the court. I mean, so even if you get over there and she puts you in the corner, the ball's jumping away from you sometimes shoulder high. It's really tough. And I, I think you made a good point about the mentality because what I really love about her is her humility and her willingness to really, this is my job. I love my job. I want to work out. I want to get better. I'm going to assemble a team and the team is going to be there with me. And we're, you know, it's a really smart, almost sophisticated approach for someone that young. She, she's really, you know, her and Sinner are two players so young that just seem to really have such a good perspective. And I think of myself at that age, God, I couldn't even organize my closet or get to, from point A to point B to see what she's done and how, you know, how well she's done it. It, it really impresses me. Yeah, interesting that you bring up Sinner. I see that there are some parallels with those two young 19-year-olds. Um, Sinner has a little bit of a tougher road. He's got more roadblocks in front of him, like Rafael Nadal, who he ran into early at Rome and played a really good match against but wasn't able to get past. And that'll switch us on the subject lines here. Um, Let's go over the men's final and let's talk about what we saw because we saw a lot. And, of course, um, all this talk, which has been rather humorous in the last few days, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal having a little bit of a laugh at the expense of the next gen because it's the big three in the final at Rome, in the biggest and most important pre-Roland Garros tournament. Again, it's Nadal, Djokovic, one and two. They head to Paris as the one and two favorites. What do we learn about both of these players during the week in Rome? Uh, for me, it was a win-win for both, even though Novak didn't, even though Rafa won the final, Novak, you know, he dethroned Novak. I thought they, they both have a lot of positives to pull from, especially because you look at Rafa, if that's Shapovalov, if, if Dennis converts one of those two match points we're sitting here right now saying geez what the heck's wrong with Rafa going in you know he loses in Madrid you know has a really really tough Barcelona final against Tsitsipas and now lose it but he didn't lose he refused to lose and he also to come back from those falls I mean those were potentially really scary danger potentially dangerous falls in the second fall against Djokovic he was pissed he got up (laughs) 
throwing a fist, and I think that just really fired him up. Like, no matter what happens to me today, I'm not walking off this court a loser. And from Novak's perspective, look, Novak was up an early break the first two sets, and then he had the two break point chances at 2-all. If he breaks there, goes up 3-2, serves for 4-2, we could be talking about a totally different story. And after the five hours he played on Saturday, coming back, winning the last three games against Sitsipas to almost steal a match that he was outplayed for the first half of the match, mm. you got to be really, really, really positive if you're a Novak Djokovic fan today because I thought he battled so hard. And he showed you the physical and mental stamina. You know, after what happened in New York, blowing up, and then earlier in Rome, he threw the racket and yelling at the umpire. He really got it together mentally and physically and showed you the champion that he is. Really fought hard, but I mean, for Rafa, it's huge because if you go flashback to Monte Carlo, the Rublev match, he couldn't even find his second serve. He looked real shaky, and now you fast forward now to Rome where he's ripping the serve, ripping the forehand, served really well down the stretch, backed up the break points. He, he was Rafa again, and that's what you want to you see that. Yeah, it just grows, the the self-belief, and, the, right. and right. it looks like he's finding his forehand now, and he's starting to take it up the line with more regularity and just be that more dangerous, have more confidence taking risk on. It's a real slow process, and you're right, the Rublev match, was his worst. He admitted to that I, when I spoke with him this week in press. He said the, the really only bad match I played is the Rublev one. He said the Zverev match was, you know, altitude Madrid, not much he could do about it. Didn't really feel like he he made a big mistake or error in that match. Wasn't really thinking about it at all. And now he's got stuff to build on. He's, uh, I mean, it's ridiculous what he's been able to do. Now we've got um, Nadal and Djokovic tied with 36 Masters, 1,000 titles. Rafa, 459 and 42 with 62 clay court titles. He's now got 13 at Roland Garros, 12 at Barcelona, 11 at Monte Carlo, and adds the 10th at Rome. I mean, you just run out of superlatives when you think about Rafael Nadal and clay. And you know what the most amazing thing is today? And I'm kind of looking through tennis abstract and going through all his 42 clay court losses. Never has he been on a losing streak on clay. Boy, that is that is mind blowing when you think about how many clay <laughs> like said, how many clay matches he's played. That's absolutely astounding. That's crazy. And we mentioned Djokovic though, who I think did pretty much everything he needed to do to build his belief ahead of Roland Garros. I think the loss Maybe stung, and you're right, at 2-2, he had his chance. He had a real nice look at that forehand and netted it. And I think at the end, that would maybe was the turning point there. And maybe at that point is where the five hours he spent on court the previous day caught up with him. But, boy, those five hours, like you said, he showed a lot of grit, a lot of heart. He kind of regained that buoyancy of spirit, that positivity, which I've seen him do before at Rome. Now I think he's in full flight, and I think if he can get better from where he is now, which it looks like he's on the, in the process of doing – he could compete with Rafa. Of course, we know Rafa always clicks up another level when he gets to Paris, but it's intriguing now. And, and once again, it looks like we've got our 1-2, and, and, and maybe they won't be in the final because they might be opposite halves, but it seems likely that these are the two guys that do the most damage in Paris once again. Yeah, and also I thought it was interesting. He showed you a few wrinkles in that final. You know, we got on him after Roland Garros that he got two drop shot happy in the final and just telegraphed it. But I thought yesterday he threw in the serve and volley at times when he saw Rafa against the back wall. He hit the drop shot effectively for the most part. There's times Rafa got up, redropped him. And, you know, he even threw in the moon ball. He went down the line with the backhand when he saw Rafa crowding, you know, on his ad side. So he showed you... 
And he showed Rafa, more importantly, you know, a few little wrinkles just like, hey, maybe this is stuff I'm testing out now and we get to Paris, we play again. I'm, I'm not going to just stand and try to grind on the baseline. Although, for much of that match yesterday, some of the longer points, he was winning. So, I mean, that showed me a lot coming off five hours on Saturday that he was able to, to grind when he wanted to, but he was also able to show you the variation when he felt he needed to. So I thought he can take a lot of big positives, especially coming out of Belgrade where he probably should have won the Karatsev match. He just couldn't get that crucial break. Yeah. But that was a tough one in front of your home fans, your family, everything, to come back in Rome. You know, and his back was up against the wall against Sitsipas, And Sitsipas had the confidence coming over. And I'm sure that's a really... I don't want to say devastating, but a really punishing loss for Sitsabas because you serve for the match and with a serve like his, you think you're going to close, and Djokovic just would not have it. He took it to another level. Also, the Senegal match. Look, I know there wasn't a lot of fans there, but there's fans there, and he definitely heard them, and he definitely felt it, and he went almost three hours against the guy that beat him in Vienna last year, so yeah. he's got a lot of really good positives to take from here, and I think they're both going into Paris feeling good about their games. Yeah, Lorenzo Sonego, that's that's a conversation right there. Um, but yeah. I, I wanted to stick with Novak because I listened to the tennis podcast this morning. My friend, my friend Matt Roberts was on, and he was talking about the difference between Novak 2011 through 2016, how he was able to take it to Rafa on the clay. And I think this is, I'm quoting stats that, that Matt Roberts was talking. He said Djokovic was seven and five against Nadal in that five or six year period. And since then, he hasn't been able to do it with any regularity. And I think he's lost now five in a row on the clay. And I'm going to ask you, what do you think changed between Novak and Rafa on the clay where for a while, it really felt like Novak was solving the king of clay. It was almost like it was pretty much mind-blowing. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in all of, from Djokovic ever, that he was able to take it to Rafa like that on the clay. And I'm curious, why do you think he's not able to do it anymore? Uh, you know, he's been close. To, I think the, the main reason for me is Rafa's healthier, and, and when he's healthier, he gets more reps. When he gets more reps, he's more confident when he's more confident you've seen what did he one twenty five and two lifetime and clay five i mean he's just mm. a different galaxy as far as clay but uh i would say also that nadal for me the confidence barometer for him is when you see him hit the forehand down the line early and a lot of times he's just so locked into i'm just going to break the guy's backhand down with the forehand cross court and i think now that you see you saw him yesterday too he just whips him beautiful down the line forehand and that, that can just open up the court for him so i think it's it's a lot of confidence but also the the, the shot selection and uh you know god he's bageled him to what he's bageled him in the one set in two of the last three clay he has, meetings he, has. he you know i think that for novak if they play again in paris you gotta win the first set i mean you gotta get the first set from him if yeah. you want to take the title yeah, it's, it was just. A, yeah, he's such a great at stretching the lead on clay. I mean, he, you know, he gets a lead. You just feel like the whole weight of the world is on your shoulder. It's so hard to come back against him on clay. And three out of five sets. I think one thing we didn't touch on yet is the the court in Paris. It's so much bigger than Rome as far as his room to run, his room to roam, and that mm -hmm. makes his defense even more oppressive. And also, you know, Rome. We we talked about it earlier. Just a funky state of the lines of the court i just feel like paris it's a more pristine cleaner bounce you know less less sort of erratic funky bounces and that all plays into his into his hands 
Okay. And yeah, and I, while you were talking, I did look up the stat. It is 7-5 and five for Djokovic between 2011 and 2016, including, of course, his win against Nadal at Roland Garros in 2015. Yeah, 2016 was not a great year for Rafan Clay either, and, and Djokovic beat him in Rome there in the quarterfinals. But yeah, it's just fascinating the way that the rivalry has kind of played out and how... Um, how Rafa has kind of took the power back on the clay. I think it was so important for him to be able to do that in terms of winning his Roland Garroses and continuing to win them. Uh, it's just fascinating, and I, I just it'll be interesting to see if Novak can can press if he does face Rafa in Paris. What that will be like, and has he learned something in Rome? And is he in a place, um, let's say, spiritually and emotionally, where he's willing to give what it would take? Or does he think in the back of his mind, you know, the grass is the thing, I'm, I'm going to win another Wimbledon? I don't know. I, I wonder if it has to do with his success at Wimbledon also. They're so close together, and Novak has clearly become a dominant force on the grass. Does, does he, is there some preservation where it, the, amount, the level of commitment that it takes to win a Roland Garros with Rafael Nadal in the draw is almost it, – it, maybe Novak hasn't given that, that effort. I, I know that's kind yeah, of – I hear what you're saying. I just think he's got to compartmentalize it and say, look, if we play in, it's one match, it's best of five sets. I got to lay it all on the line here. And I think the added pressure is if Nadal wins, obviously he is sole Grand Slam king with his 21st major if he wins. Whereas if Djokovic wins, it's almost like a double victory because he pulls within one major of both those guys and he denies Rafa getting the 21st and being not just the king of clay, the king of tennis. So yeah. it's, it's really an added pressure. And then you factor on top of that, Rafa has never lost in the semis or final in Paris. Never. I mean, his losses are early to Soderling and then, like you said, the quarterfinal to Djokovic. So it get, it's even harder when you get him in the semis or finals. So, it, yeah, I mean, you've got to go you got to go with Rafa just based on what he's done. But I think Djokovic, he can go in there playing a little bit more loose also because of his comments in Rome earlier this week where he basically said the number one ranking is no longer a priority because he has the, he has the record for most career weeks at number one. Yeah. So he can sort of pick and choose but also really, really zero in on the slams because that's the number one goal for him right mm -hmm. now to get the slam record. And let's not forget, if he were to upset him in Paris, he'd be halfway to the single season slam and then defending champion at Wimbledon. That would make for quite a Wimbledon. Yeah. And and just to, just to stake on this subject for a, a second longer, when I refer to that podcast, the tennis podcast with Matt Roberts, his theory was that Djokovic was hitting with more power in those years. Maybe he meant taking the ball earlier. Maybe he meant flattening the ball out more. Um, anything to that, that he was he was just a more explosive, more assertive, more aggressive player against Rafa, and that's, some, that's something either that he can't produce that kind of power or hasn't, just simply hasn't thought about it, hasn't gone for it against Rafa. Did, did you I, I notice that? I think that's that? a possible, definitely a possible explanation because yesterday at times you saw him really start unloading, especially yes, yes. after the first set, where he definitely looked, I didn't, I didn't have the stats as far as the miles per hour on the strokes, but it definitely looked like at times he was popping the ball harder. I think his advantage as far as core position, he's definitely more comfortable straddling the baseline, taking yeah. the ball early. The problem on clay is you get those weird bounces or divots where it's not like a hard court where you can can just straddle the baseline the whole match because you know mm -hmm. plus they doubt the spin is going to push you back if you're not timing it perfectly yeah. so i think there is validity to what you're saying for sure especially on the on the core position i just think that gets much tougher uh you know in pair on the clay it's just tougher yep 
And as it stands now, Rafa's streak over Novak on the clay is five, including the Roland Garros final last year, which is probably the most regrettable one for Djokovic, where he was bageled in the first set, lost at six, lost six, two, seven, five. Yesterday, he fell seven, five, one, six, six, three. But it, but again, as we point out, a great roam for both players. Both are headed in the right direction. The trend is up, and they're looking pretty um, pretty daunting. And, uh, when it comes and it was to funny his presser after how he said, you know, he's asked the next gen question. He goes, "I've been asked a thousand times. It's the same. You know, we're still here. We're, we're still, still winning." Here. And basically, what he said, the proof is in the results. You yeah. know, you want to talk about that? You got to win some majors first. Yeah. And you know what? I when I was listening to these, to Novak talk about it, and to have that laugh with Rafa on court, and he he said he had a laugh with Rafa after he beat Tsitsipas about the next gen and how you know so much for the next gen. Look, look who's look who just beat Tsitsipas, kind of thing. I hope Stefanos is watching this. I because he's the guy that's pushing the hardest right now, and it's been impressive to watch. And I hope it makes him angrier or makes him motivated. What well, anger is probably a silly word to use, but I hope it motivates him to take that extra step. Because you know we've all been waiting for somebody to truly get in the grill of of the big three and push them the way we want them to be pushed, the way that Novak Djokovic was able to push the big two when it really was just the big two, and he came up on the got in the face of Federer and Nadal and overtook them both. I'd love to see somebody make a make a stronger effort at doing that. And that's why I turned our conversation to Sitsipas and Dominic Team. Two players are sort of on the fringe of being, you know, having a potential of reaching another Roland Garros final. What did you think about Sitsipas's clay season? Overall, it was pretty strong, got a Masters title. And then what do you think about Dominic Team and what he's been up to in his two matches, the two tournaments since he's returned? I would say outside of Rafa and Novak, those would be the next two guys I would pick as the favorites if something happened where Novak or Rafa didn't get to the final. Um, you know, yeah. team, it's it's just it's a much smaller sample size of matches, so it's hard for me to really say where he's at. I did see the Senego, uh, you know, match. I think Sitsipas showed you a lot during the clay season. You know, people talk about, oh, Monte Carlo, who did he really beat? Hey, he beat Rublev in the final. Rublev's a hell of a player. Absolutely. One of the, Winning his players over the last, so that's a huge win. And then Barcelona, he battled, you know, Rafa tooth and nail. I don't put as much stock in Madrid because of the altitude and because Kasparud's a really good player, and you figure there's going to be a little bit of a letdown. I think, to me, the intriguing thing is how is he going to respond from this role match where he had Djokovic there for the taking. He had the match on his racket. He had been serving well. He had been up basically the whole match, and he could not finish him. So that's going to be something he's going to have to come to terms with. But we saw last year when he lost to Rublev what the Hamburg final before the French Open. This is a similar situation. He could have won that match. He didn't finish. And then he came back in Paris, had to put together a really good tournament there. Yeah. So I expect him to do to do well. You'd like to see him you know, close out these, these matches and sort of put together more titles. He's got one title this year. It's a big one. Uh, although, having said that, look at his record this year. I think every single tournament he's entered, except for Madrid, he's been to the court, at least the quarterfinals. So he's, he's been good. Basically playing up to his seed. And also, I mean, we talked about this last time. I just love the fact this guy holds serve. He's in the top five in service games mm-hmm. held, and the guys ahead of him are, you know, Raonic, Isner, Opelka, guys who are just massive servers so you hold serve the way he does and also protect your second serve the way he does and also move the way he does at 6-4 the way he can defend and transition from the defense to offense I think he does that on clay better than a lot of the younger guys mm-hmm. including Zverev who's a real threat himself yeah. so I, I would put him way up there but he's got to do it he's got to prove it 
Yeah, he's been good. You, you're quoting what you just uh, mentioned, his performance throughout the season. Semi-final at the Australian Open was beaten by Medvedev. Rotterdam, semi-final was beaten by Rublev. Marseille, quarterfinal, was in his best effort, lost to Pierre Ugerbert. Final in Acapulco, kind of a heartbreaking loss to Zverev. Miami Masters lost to Herkic, who went on to win the title. And then in the clay, where he's been the most impressive, in my opinion, I think he's 13-2, and two, had a nine-match winning streak, winning Monte Carlo, championship point against Nadal, lost to Ruud in Madrid, which you mentioned, and then on to Rome, where he served for the match against Djokovic. So, I mean, the championship point against Nadal and serving for the match against Djokovic, it could have been an incredible clay court season. Not just Absolutely, a, you know, so absolutely, yep. He's knocking on the door. I, I think he's the player to watch more so than Dominic Team right now. But then again, Team looked good. Semis in Madrid where he's always pretty tough. And then the Sinego loss was, in in hindsight, not a bad loss at all given just how good Lorenzo Sinego is, right? Oh, my God. Sinego top 30 now and going higher. He's a really fun guy to watch, too, because he's not afraid to get into it emotionally or, or play any mental games. He's a really, really interesting and tricky player. Very dangerous player. I would say he and Rude and Berrettini would be guys that you could mm-hmm. look at as really dangerous guys in Paris if they get going. But I agree with what you said about Sitsipas. I know it sounds a little bit of a stretch where, hey, team's been to the final, French Open final twice. He's yep. won a slam in five sets, in a tie break in New York under crazy circumstances. Just the experience alone. Also, you look at team in five set matches, his matches. His record in a fifth set is he just has much more experience than than Sitsipas. But having said all that, like you just said, I mean he was within two matches of really almost sweeping the clay season. So I, I, I like I like where Sitsipas is at now and where he's going. It's just you want to see him close some of these big matches, and you know he has done it for sure. But you want to see him close some against the big guys. He has more top ten wins this year than Team. Also, although Team he just hasn't played he's as much. Played, yeah. Um, I think he looks good, though. I think the team will get. He'll be in Lyon this week, and I think given given a few more matches, I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be right there at Roland Garros. And I mean, it doesn't. He showed some pretty good tennis. You know, he just needs to get a little more match toughness and just kind of get relax a little bit in his head. I think he he could be. You know, I think between team and Tsitsipas is sort of a toss-up into, like, who's going to be more dangerous based on team's history. But, yeah, I think it's nice to have these guys doing well. It's nice to have Rublev playing well. Um, Zverev has been interesting and done some great things. Um, so there are storylines other than Djokovic and Nadal. Um, I, I'll, put you on, I'll put you on the spot here and ask you to name your top four favorites if, and this is hypothetical, very hypothetical, if Nadal and Djokovic did not exist. Who would be your four Roland Garros favorites in in order, starting with number one? I would go Sitsipas slightly ahead of team. I mean, you could flip-flop them. You could go team. I would go Sitsipas team just based on the current form and match play, everything we just talked about. Then I think you got to go Zverev mm-hmm. because he's, you know, he's won Masters on clay before. You know, he won Monte Carlo. He's won Roland. I think you got to go with him, especially with the first serve and his movement. And, you know, the win over Rafa in Madrid, although it's altitude aided, obviously, he still won the match and he dominated the match. Yeah. Uh, so I would say those would be the next three. Then after that, I, it's just it's kind of tricky for me. Maybe um, you got to think about Rublev. I like Sinner a lot. I know he, you know, hardcore is maybe more comfortable for him, but he played Rafa pretty tough yeah. last year in Paris. So I would put Sinner and Rublev up there, and then like I said earlier, Berrettini, Rude. Karatsev is a guy I really, mm-hmm. really like watching him, and he has no fear. Uh, I would put those guys up there as well. Yeah, I'm going to mention a guy you might not have heard of, but I. 
he's pretty good in big tournaments. His name is Roger Federer. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you were going to say uh, I just feel like I haven't seen him play on clay in so long. I, gotta I know. I think it's also, like, you know, reading his comments that he's basically saying, I'm looking at this as sort of yeah. just getting the practice. So I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, not to put him on. I just feel like he hasn't played in clay yeah. in so long. But, but keep I in mind. But you're right. I mean, he's Roger Federer. Keep in know. mind, my hypothetical question was with, with Novak and Rafa not in existence. I think Roger really would bear down and try to win this title, seeing yeah. the opportunity that lay in front of him. Um, it, well, you know, if Novak and Rafa didn't exist, Roger probably already have 10. Yeah, he might have retired <laughs> by now with with 34 majors. Yeah, I think, you know, remember, 2019, we didn't think much of Roger and his age and his clay court prowess at, the, at that age, but he was in the semis, and he actually played Rafa pretty decently. Oh, he played it real, on a crazy, windy day. Yeah. He played... Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I, I can't, you can't overlook. I just feel like I just haven't seen him play. No, I don't no. know what he's, I don't know where he's going to be. I can't really assess it. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Berrettini's another guy that I think has really shown a lot of good tennis as well. Um, I, I'd like to see him do some good stuff. And I hope that Sonego can play well at Roland Garros also yeah, because, man, that, be that guy great. is fun. That oh, my God, so he's fun, fun to watch. And really, he's so spirited, too. And also the whole relationship with the coach and everything that he's stuck with it. And, yeah, he's really – and he's a hungry player. You see that in him. Yep. Really cool. Um, and now, you love seeing guys like him, like Karatsev, like these guys who really devote their lives to the sport, and they're not these sort of glory guys, but they they just bring it every single time you see them. Yeah. It's cool how the, we thinking about Musetti and Sinner, and then maybe we talk about uh, Fabio Fanini, of course, when you talk about the Italians, but it was Senega who was the star, and it was, that was a good moment for him. I hope that uh, hope yeah. he builds off that. It'd be really cool. But let's switch to the women. We're talking about favorites in Paris. Who do you think has earned the right to be called the favorite on the women's well, side? It's a tough one because you, you know, look at, we just spoke about Iga not losing a set, only losing 28 games, I mean, you know, the double bagel in the final. I think you... I would have. I mean, I think you can definitely put Iga as the favorite. I would still put Ash Barty as the favorite, only because she beat Iga in Madrid. I realize totally different conditions and altitude, but still, she did beat her in the only time they played. And you know, look, you don't know what would have happened in Rome if she didn't have that horrendous day with the rain and the slipperiness against Coco where she's winning that match and she pulled the plug because of the elbow but I think also the conditions she's like wait a minute I'm going to play a major in a few weeks and I'm out here slipping and sliding Novak's in the locker room watching TV like why am I here so I, I don't blame her at all for what she did I just my only point is if she had won that match which she was in position to do we don't know what would have happened if she played Ega so I, I think I'd maybe go Barty one and Ego 1A is right there. Maybe mm-hmm. co-favorite, but I would give Barty a slight slight edge. The other reason is she's world number one, and she's shown all of us, you know, everyone was like, oh, Sokka's going to about to part. You know, she just shown she's a legitimate, confirmed num- world number one. She's played like the world number one. And the third reason is you look at her record in three setters. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. So she she has shown you that she can decipher opponents figure out situations adapt to you know freaky conditions whatever happens she's just a really really smart player and also the serve i mean we're always talking about serena osaka pliskova she leads the tour aces she can't say she's the best server in tennis right now in the women's game just in terms of the variety the placement how she gets the big ace when she needs it uh so i would give her the slight edge but he goes right there and if you want to flip-flop him i would have no no argument mm. yeah no it's 
it's going to be fun on the women's side. There's two wild cards that I'm looking at as I peer into my WTA rankings page right now. Serena Williams, who's in Parma right now, got picked up a win today and will face uh, Sinyakova in her next match. It's great that she's getting some matches. And Bianca Andreescu, who hasn't played on the clay since 2019 and just hasn't been able to get on the court this spring. And But I suspect she'll play in Roland Garros, so that will make it interesting. And then, of course, we didn't talk about Sabalenka, who's been a real revelation on the clay this season. Um, and then Garbini Muguruza, I think is in a really nice spot because she's kind of quieted the hype and hasn't really hit her stride on the clay yet, but we know she can. And I think she's, we know she's in good form in general this year. I think she's in a good spot to kind of sneak up on a lot of people and could potentially win this title. That's a great point about Garbina because she sometimes gets overshadowed now with all everyone coming with Iga and everyone. But yeah, you're right. And she's won it before. She's beat great players to do it. Yeah, I would agree with all of those players. And Sabalenka, you know, taking it, uh, the Stuttgart final for losing Ash and then bouncing back in Madrid for one of her biggest titles. That's, that's a big, big thing. Uh, yeah, I think it's the interesting thing with Serena is even though she hasn't played much, if you ask me right now, Who's going to go further in Paris, Serena, Kennan, or Anna Samova, who was a semifinal? I would probably say Serena, and that sounds like a big stretch because she just hasn't played at all. But I like the I like the way she competed against Podoroska, and Podoroska is a French Open semifinal, so no shame losing that match. But it was a tight match. It was her first match back. She wasn't landing the first serve early, so she was playing like half the first set, not consistently landing the first serve, but she really battled. So yeah. I liked her energy and her enthusiasm, and she you could tell she wanted to be out there. Yes. So, uh, you know, that's a big thing. I think Halep also, we don't know if she's even going to play or what her status will be with the calf, but, you know, if she's someone, if she's healthy, obviously, uh, you know, very, very dangerous. I liked what Podoroska did against her. She played a really good match. She's a good player on clay, very strong player. Really, really is. Yeah, you mentioned Simona. That's going to be tough to come back from a calf tear. Last, yeah. we, last we saw her, she was heading out of Rome to go to Romania for rehab with a cane and a wrap on that leg. It's hopefully not as bad as it looks, and hopefully she can be a top form. But I'm guessing it's unlikely. I'm, I, she's definitely down a couple notches in terms of, I mean, she'd normally be one of the favorites, one of the top favorites. But it's going to be hard if she can't use her wheels the way she likes to, and we all know how she likes to use those wheels. As far as Serena, I'm so happy she went to Parma. It shows she's committed. It shows she just wants – she said it's been tougher than most years to get used to the clay. I think it's because she hasn't played there. So, you know, the pandemic has pretty much slowed her. She hasn't played a lot of matches on it, and um, I think it's great that she's getting her feet underneath her. If she shows the kind of fitness and form that she – demonstrated in Australia, I think she could potentially win this title. She's a three-time champion in Roland Garros. She's a hell of a clay court player, and she gets some comfort on that surface this week. You know, maybe she makes the quarters and then does a little pull-out, says, you know, thanks, thanks, Parma. I'll, 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 do, I'll hand somebody a walkover, and I'm ready to go. Maybe that's most perfect for her, but I think she can be a force. In a, she's got time. we got that extra week. She's got 10 or, 10 or 12 days to be in top fighting form for the French, and that'll be cool to see her play. Yeah, it could be, and if she got herself going, look, if she got some hot conditions in Paris where the court was playing quicker, or even if she got days where they closed the roof where she's playing, that would even probably even be better uh-huh. for her. If she got it geared up on the serve, of course, she's a, she's a threat to anybody. It's just, for me, the lack of match play in those tight 
breakpoint situations where you got to hit a big second serve, stuff like that. There, you can't replicate that in any way except playing matches. And I think that's where like Party and Iga and yeah. players like that and Sabalenka, although Serena beat Sabalenka in Australia, they have the edge just because they played so many meaningful matches this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she could have a. She sticks around and keeps winning in Parma. She could potentially face Coco Goff in the semis, and that would be uh, that'd be something to see. I'll tell you, the first set, Coco against uh, Iga. I thought Coco really competed well because she was down, and then she started, you know, really. She came to the net a few times. Showed, I mean, Coco's shown a lot this year to me. The matches I've seen, really competing hard and showing a lot of different showing the gears to her game where she's able to come in play back chase play defense play offense you know she's shown a lot this year i love coco goff as, as, yeah, as a competitor variety in her game the foot speed is like off the charts foot speed and goes hard for every single ball no matter where the ball is she goes for it you know she really really works hard out there she's just a great kid what a great sport too i mean she competes hard but she's really got a lot of dignity to her just her whole aura of Coco, Coco Goff is I'm just a huge fan. I'm just enamored with her. And I think it's people are, you know, maybe got a little ahead of themselves with the hype when she was fifteen, but now that she's seventeen, it's so obvious that she's gonna keep progressing and just be be an incredible player. I see her winning Roland Garros. I really like her on the clay, the the way she moves on that surface. Of course she's got the issues. Um, that she knows, you know, with with her serve, she needs to improve it and be a little better on the second serve. But these are things I think she'll work out. She's gonna, she's got a really bright future. Yeah, I would love to see her and Iga develop a long-standing rivalry and put Andrescu and Osaka in there also as well. But because they, their styles are are really different, but really exciting in their own separate ways. And when you put them together, it's a nice contrast. And they're both really, really young and really hungry and really smart. I thought her comments in Rome were really revealing when she said one of the biggest improvements is just the decision-making, knowing what shot to play when, and also allowing yourself to live with the decisions you make instead of beating yourself up two, three points down the line. I should have done this. I should have done that. You know, just accept it. You made the decision and move on. So she's shown a lot of maturity in her perspective and her approach and also how she addressed that second serve issue, which we were all talking about for months and months, that she's, she's picked up the serve and she had some huge first serves at Rome. So her first serve is electric mm-hmm. when, it, when it's going. Yeah. And here's here's a question that we haven't talked about. <laughs> it's funny. We haven't talked about n- neither number two in the world, Naomi Osaka or Daniel Medvedev. And there's a reason for that. Neither yeah. neither have been very impressive on the clay thus far. My question to you is, uh, who's going to get farther in Paris, Osaka or Medvedev? Wow, that's a good question. Um yeah, I, I probably, I would say Osaka, probably, just because Medvedev's never won a match in Paris, and also the whole thing in Rome, where he's talking about Jerry Armstrong to get me out of here, where it's almost become comic relief. The dirt, like I'm just dog not, in the I, dirt. I'm the Washington Generals, everybody else is the Harlem Globetrotters, I can't, you know, it's almost become like a funny thing, and so when it, I mean, that's a great way to alleviate the struggles, but at the same time, when you're kind of mocking your own game, it doesn't give me a lot of faith in you ahead of a grand slam whereas i think osaka you know she's not also going to grind out there as much either she's just going to try to end points quickly and she has the, the power to do that whereas for me medvedev although he's got a huge serve and all that he, he he he's almost better when he can sort of work his way into points and use his mind and his cleverness and his angles to sort of work and i just don't think the flat game plays as well for him on clay and also the footing for both of them the the footwork is a real 
I think for both of them, that's the biggest challenge. I would probably say Naomi, just because I think if she gets hot, she can she can sort of hit her way through some opponents there. But I don't. I wouldn't expect either of them to go deep. Yeah, absolutely. I go with Naomi on that one. Um, of course, it's draw dependent, but. Um, but you know, having said that, you know, Medvedev has beaten Djokovic on clay. It's not like he's never won matches know. on clay, but he just has—he just looks like he has no confidence on clay right now. Yeah, and right. It's going to be—it's too quick for—it's too short term for him to fix kind of where his head is at. It seems right, like to me. Like right. I think he can have a bright future on the surface, and sure. he's got to commit to it mentally and like kind of put put aside the. The, where his head is at right now it's it's not funny it has to be not funny anymore to him <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, unfortunately i love watching him he's so entertaining and he's and it was funny the whole dirt and the dog thing i was cracking up when i saw yeah, it no, it was funny, um, yeah. but yeah I think, well, sometimes uh, you gotta keep you gotta laugh to keep from going insane you know that kind of thing or just to keep your head together you gotta yeah. just the absurdity of it all i guess is sort of the uh approach it's worked for I just, as an opponent if i saw that i'd be like yeah this guy is not he's not all in on this surface yep that's true, and and I think Osaka's done some decent things on clay as well. Just not recently, but um, I think uh, third round Roland Garros in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. So I mean, she beat Azarenka there in twenty nineteen. Um, I think she's got potential, but you're right. The footwork uh, it looks a little bit. She looks uncomfortable moving. Um, that's that's the issue. But I think she can she can win some matches for sure. I think one oh, of these sure. days she's going to sure explode. She can. I just think when you get her into the corner, she's not as confident coming out of the corner. So a lot of times you'll see her play like low percentage. Let me just go for a backhand winner down the line, and she'll miss like the doubles out. You know, it's like you gotta know when to pull back a little. But she's mm-hmm. at her best going for it and trying to end the point in like eight shots and taking charge of the center of the court so you know when you put her on defense it's just a different it's a different thing and i think that's where you can look at her as much more offensively explosive than barty but barty is definitely a better defender because of the slice the movement stuff like that the footwork so that that's something you know she's not going to be she's not going to change who she is or her dna i mean she's won four majors but i mean i just think it's just tougher for her to adapt her game to clay than than Barty or obviously Eager or Simona or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's just the the beauty of this, the different surfaces in the sport and the different players that can excel on them. And it shows how hard it is to be a triple threat like Novak Djokovic and really all the top, a lot of the top players. But Richard, you've been awesome today. I got one more question for you before I let you go because I know you got to do some taxes. I hope you're not going to ask me any to pick any because <laughs> I just don't know. No, oh. but I mean, just to pick up on what you said earlier, look, I grew up with Pete Sampras every year, dominant player. You get to Paris, Pete. Guys were not only not scared to play him, some guys wanted to play him. Yeah. So it, you know, like, to, just to illustrate what you just said, I mean, Novak, Rafa, to do what they've done on these surfaces, it's it's – it's almost like we've grown to accept it because it happens so often. But, you know, historically, when you look 10, 20 years down the road, you're going to look back and say, I, I, it just blows my mind what these guys were able to do. Yeah. And there's no doubt that grass is a little bit slower. or, or grass, sure. play, grass plays a little bit more, like, hard, and there, it's, the surfaces are, to a, to a certain extent, homogenized. And we have but, over most of the majors now. It's a, different, yeah. it's a different sport. It's more ballistic. The players are more physical. It's a different game. But, you know, it, it just is to see, to see guys do what they've done on multiple surfaces and that's why yeah. i'm high on Sitsipas also i think he has the game to, to be a winner on all surfaces yeah, yeah. and and but I, the point i was trying to finish with is that clay 
when when players that aren't aren't natural on clay do excel on it, I'm always impressed because clay is a bitch. You watch these matches and there's like, you know, dirt blowing in people's faces, and bad right. bounces. You got the the king of clay is tripping over lines. It's not. It's My just God. A, it's yeah. just torture sometimes. But it's a beautiful game that gets played on it. I just love it so much, and it's the one surface that I've grown to love more and more and more as I've gotten deeper into tennis. I mean, no, there's no red clay in the U.S. We don't really grow up on it, but got such a taste for it and love this time of the year so much. But uh, that's a tangent that I'll, I'll end right now. And I'll, I'll no, get, no, I'll no, you're that. right on because even that Ega match, the final, it was a blowout over in 46 minutes. If you just watched even part, just to hear her footwork across the clay, how fast her feet, how, how good she is getting back to the center of the court. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful yeah. thing yeah. on that surface. So, uh, yeah, I totally... Totally agree with you. Yeah, I did have some ego moments where watching her, um, sl- she slides so effortlessly on everything. Yeah. It's just like, She's wow. so light on it's her like feet. Skating. She's skating. Yeah, it's, it's she really is. And um, that last question, no, it's not going to be that hard. I promise. <laughs> I don't spot. As long as it doesn't involve math, I, I can conjure some answers. I, I just think it's important that we mention that Rafael Nadal is going to be the Number three seed at Roland Garros, and that potentially, when the draw comes out, c- could complicate matters because he could get up, being he could end up being thrown in Novak Djokovic's half, and then could, would meet Djokovic in the semis. And Medvedev, of course, could be the second seed, and it could just could be a weird draw. So I'm asking you, it's hard to know because you don't know how it's going to play out. But do you think it favors Djokovic if he played Rafa in the semis, or do you think it doesn't favor Djokovic the way this this is, you know, with Rafa being the three seed? Yeah, it's uh, if I'm Djokovic, I want Rafa as far away from me as possible, so I want him as the two seed. And I mean, I know there's a school of thought: if you're going to beat him there, you're going to beat him early, like Soderling did. But like we said earlier, he's never lost a semi or a final. So I, to me, mm-hmm. it's like Doesn't if you're going to beat him, you may as well try to beat him in the final because then you win the. T- if you beat him in the semi, you still got to beat somebody else in the final. You know, yeah. that's if you beat him. So I would rather, much rather, if I'm going against him, I want the title on the line if, i'm gonna go the other the other way i'm gonna say if favor i don't i think you know clearly rafa's the favor right favorite right now no matter where he faces him but i think Djokovic would have a better shot just because it would throw a little bit of a chaotic chaotic element into the tournament it would it would slightly better maybe would favor novak and because he beat him in the quarters figure why not the next step beat him in the semis and then like you know when we're when we're still number one and two in the world 10 years from now i'll beat him in the final it's, I mean, I could see where you're coming from, but also, if what if you beat him in the semis and it's like a five-hour, fifty-three-minute match, like the Australian Open one final was? Then I don't care how fit you are, and then you got to come back and let's say you got to play team or somebody in the fight. You know, I just don't. Yeah. I don't want to go That's there. True. I mean, I, if I'm true. playing him, I know it's gonna be it's gonna beat me up. You know, so I want to do it at the end as late. It's like paying taxes. I wait till the absolute last yeah. day because I know it's gonna be painful. <laughs> yep, good point, and then. Perfect segue, because I know you have to go do your taxes, and I think our time is about up. Where are we at on the clock? 44 minutes. That's about as long as the women's final was on Saturday, So, yeah. so um, which I think it was 46 minutes. So why don't we call it? Thanks, Richard. We'll, uh, we'll get back together soon, definitely before Roland Garros, maybe after the draws, and then we'll start popping out some regular podcasts after that. So everybody, uh, look forward to that. Stay, keep it tuned. And, um, Richard, thanks for your time. Enjoy your day, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Richard Pagliaro, for being my guest and for chatting for 45 minutes about the goodness of the clay court tennis season. It has been awesome, and there's still stuff happening this week and next week. The qualities at RG, as we mentioned, it's going to be amazing. You guys stay tuned. We'll be popping out more podcasts 
in the coming days and certainly in the coming weeks as the French Open heats up. Want to tell you guys where you can find us on social. We're at facebook.com slash tennis now. You also can always find us on Twitter at tennis underscore now. We'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. We, in fact, dare you to do it. Go into your Apple Podcast app, type in Lucky Let Court Podcast, voila. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. We really appreciate that you joined us today. We hope you enjoy the tennis chatter, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you next time. Thanks. Enjoy the tennis. Peace out.